Hey, glad you're here this morning on, again, Baptism Sunday. It's a very special time. Last week was amazing. I'm glad that you're here today. I hope that if you're new, that you experience something real and genuine of God and that there's something powerful that happens in your heart and your life. And I hope you also just, you know, meet some neat people here because this, as Jeff said, this is a good place, nice people. And so, uh, you know, just keep coming if you're new here. A few things that are just a little family business. So if you guys are just want to tune into this, number one, your church family needs you. Next weekend, there's something we need to do to put the property to rest, to be prepared for guests, and just to check off one more box with our permits. We need to lay a ton of sod, probably tons. We figured out we need like 100 people. So if you do the math, just look around. Basically, I'm talking to you. If you are able to, you know, just come and do something, we need everybody here. And you say, well, I can't go down there and carry a roll of sod. Well, maybe you can come make coffee or bacon. That'd be awesome. So that's next Saturday morning. The details, you need to catch me after church, and I'll put you in touch with, like, all of you should come see me after church. I should be overwhelmed with people saying, I'm in next Saturday morning. Let's get this done before it's 150 degrees and get it in there. Another piece of family news. Did you notice we have a new service time coming up next week? Tell me what time it is. Hey, you're good. So we're asking you to flex a little bit. We're asking the people who like to sleep in to flex a little bit. They're going to have to be a little more disciplined. They're going to have to get up earlier to come to church. Just that's our summer hours. So thank you all for being willing to do that. We're going to pull it into one service. And um, you know, then we'll jump into the fall with our new service times again. But thanks for that. One more piece of uh, family news. Uh, Sandy and Maureen Ludlam in the back row and their daughter Aiden, granddaughter, are moving to Wyoming today, literally today, right after service is over. They're going with the moving truck. So if you don't go say goodbye to them now and give them a hug, you're going to have to drive to Wyoming, which would still be cool, but you probably ought to go. We love them. They've been a great part of the family. Cameron would appreciate it if you maybe go over to their house after church and help them load the truck up so he doesn't have to do it all himself. There you go. So that's family news. All right, so have you ever noticed how some questions that people ask aren't really questions at all? It's a question in the form of a question, but it's actually a pointed comment. Like, when your parents yelled down the hall at you when you were little, or if you've ever yelled this down the hall, what is going on down there? Is that a question? Are they seeking information? I really want to know what you're doing so I can come join in. Or are they saying, whatever it is, I just want it to stop. Whoever is getting beat, whoever is beating on someone, whatever is being thrown against the wall, what is going on down there? Because it better stop before I come down there, right? How about this one? When somebody says to you, where'd you hear that? Are they seeking your sources so they can go do some further study? Are they really curious or are they just saying, is that another way of saying, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Where'd you hear that, right? How about this question? This is not really a question. What does it mean when somebody asks you, did you do something different with your, and then you can fill in the blank, right? Kind of like this. Did you do something different with your hair? What are you saying when you ask that? Did you do something different with this recipe? Did you do something different with, are you, this different outfit? What is that, what are you saying? Really, the subtext is, I don't like it. Which is why the polite thing to always say is what? Did you do something different with your hair because I like it. You lie. You just say, this, this, this dish is great. I, don't, I, don't, I never would have thought of putting bananas and, you know, okra together, but good job. I like it. How about this one? When somebody says to you, what are you waiting for? 
Are they asking you, like, can you give me the 10 things you need to do before? Or is there a little bit of a push there? Do you ever feel guilty when somebody asks you, what are you waiting for? Isn't there like a nudge? There's something you already know you should be doing. Why? What are you waiting for? Go, go, go. There's like a prompt to it. Let's go. Let's get doing on this. My guess is that all of us, if somebody could look at the whole entirety of our lives, could point out a few or maybe a lot of areas where we're kind of treading water there's something we need to do and we even recognize we need to do it and if you were just being honest you'd say I probably should have done this a long time ago but you know, somebody else would just come along and go what are you waiting for just do this and and yet you know maybe for you in your house it's literally your house how many of you have things in your house that need to be fixed that you, you know you need to do it you, you should have done it a long time ago uh, home repairs are like awful or as my friend Keith calls it, fixing up the house for the next person who's going to live in it. Because when do we do our home repairs? When we're moving out. Like, you got to fix this, this, and this. And it's like, why didn't you just do that when you were living in the house so you could enjoy the thing instead of fixing it all whenever somebody's going to move in? It's like when Home Depot says, come on, let's do this. You know, you can do it. We can help. Let's go. They're kind of nudging us forward. Yeah, there's an article in Fast, Mag Fast Company magazine a few years ago that talks about this very idea of putting things off. I'm, just, I'm going to paraphrase how the article started. They said, what if a well-informed, trusted authority figure said to you that unless you make very specific changes in your life immediately, in the way that you think, in the way you act, in the way you behave, you will die. If you don't make some changes immediately in your life, and you trust this person, you know that they're an authority, they know what they're talking about, they've got your best interest at heart, and they say, if you don't change some things, you're going to die, would you change? Here's what the article found out. The odds are nine to one that you will not even in the face of certain death. And here's how they came to this conclusion. There was a study done with people who had heart bypass surgery. When you have heart bypass surgery, something has already gone horribly wrong in your life, and then the doctor will sit you down and say, look, you just got a temporary fix here. You got a little reprieve, but unless you make some changes in your diet, and if you don't start exercising, quit smoking, do some things differently, you are going to die. We bought you a little bit of time here, but you've got to make some changes. Everybody in that situation looks at their doctor, and they lie. They shake their head and go, oh, you are absolutely right. I am going to make the changes. I'm going to start eating right. I'm going to be in the gym on Monday. The YMCA is going to get tired of seeing me. I'm going to drink lots of water. Study followed up with those two people, those, those people two years later. Here's what they found. Only one out of nine had actually started making the changes. Here's the curious thing. All nine, like everybody in the study who said they were going to make the changes still plan on making the changes. But I'm thinking like, you've had two years on borrowed time. What are you waiting for? Another heart attack? You know, and, and all of us can probably say we know things like that. We know people like that. Maybe there's not necessarily in your health, but maybe it is. Maybe there's other areas in your life where you're kind of treading water. And uh, as Kyle Eidelman, he's a pastor, he describes it, it's procrastination is living in the space between conviction and action. You're firmly convinced, this has got to change. I need to do something differently. I know I need to do it. And over there is when I'm actually doing it. And we're just kind of here in the middle just waiting. And what are we waiting for? You know, why aren't we doing it? We're just... Here's one of the things that that study found that Fast Company Magazine talked about. Conviction can actually numb you because the feeling that I need to do something and the thought in my mind, I'm going to do something, makes you feel like you've already done it. It gives you the sensation that you've already made some things better. And you really haven't. You've made a choice in your mind that you're going to think about it. You feel convicted, and so you feel like, well, I should get some credit because I'm thinking about it. 
you know, I need to drink more water. I'm thinking about it, so you didn't actually start drinking more water. I need to exercise more, so I should get some bonus. Well, you're not actually exercising. You didn't actually make any changes. And here's how I want to apply this to us today. Many of us will find conviction from reading the Bible. We come to church, and we hear something, and we go, wow, I don't want to admit it, but I really need to do something with this. And then that conviction often doesn't lead to action or doing anything with it. We just live in that space of procrastination in the in-between, and we feel like we should get credit with God because we were thinking about it, but we haven't actually obeyed God in whatever it is he's called on us to do. And we've been talking about baptism. I think that's a place where we can apply this. If this is something that God has placed on your heart, if there's anything that God's placed on your heart, the best time to do it is right when you feel the conviction. To not just think about it, to consider it. Eventually, you have to move into the area of action. So last week and this week, we've been talking about baptism. Just a quick review for last week for those of you who are here, and if you weren't here, I highly recommend that you go back and watch the video. We have them all on our church website. Usually, I just say, if you missed, you can go listen to the podcast or watch the video. And it's okay if you do or don't. But this is one where I really think everybody at Connection ought to just see, here's what my church teaches about, you know, following Jesus. One of the things we talked about was that baptism is incredibly important to Jesus. And here's how we know that. Number one, the first thing Jesus did before he ever started preaching and teaching, when he started his ministry, he got baptized. He went to the Jordan River, a walk of like 60 miles. He went to John the Baptist. He was immersed in the Jordan River. And God the Father said, this is my son. I'm pleased with him. And the Holy Spirit came down like a dove. And it was just this powerful moment. And that's how Jesus kicked off his his ministry. He said to his cousin John, look, we should do this to fulfill all righteousness. This is the right thing to do. And he set us a great example in that way. And then if you go to the end of Jesus' ministry, this thing bookends it. Literally the last things that he said before he left the planet and ascended to heaven after he had died and rose from the dead was this. In Matthew 28, 18, he said to his closest followers who were watching him, he said, God has given me all authority in heaven and on earth. And here's what I'm going to tell you to do. Verse 19, you go into all the world and you make disciples of all the nations. Disciples just means make them students. Teach them to follow me, Jesus says. So you're my students. Go out and make other students. And what you need to do when they commit to following me, to being a student, you baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then teach them to obey everything that I've taught you. So Jesus taught his disciples. They teach other people to be students of Jesus, apprentices of Jesus, followers of Jesus. And the first thing that Jesus wants them to do to show their obedience to him is to be baptized. It's so important to Jesus. And we go on into the book of Acts, which records how the church started. We are still living 2,000 years later and where it started, and it's talked about in the Bible. And, and over and over and over in Acts, what we see is, and you might be surprised to see this, every time somebody decided to do what Jesus talked about and they decided to become a follower of Jesus, they started by putting their trust and faith in Jesus, and they ended in baptism. Their conversion, it was belief expressed through baptism. And no matter where they started, that convert eventually ended up in the water. That's just how it happened. And they didn't procrastinate. So today I want us to take a look at one of those accounts. It's a true story, and it's in your Bible. It's in Acts 8. So if you've got a Bible that's an analog version, go ahead and try to find Acts. Feel free to use the table of contents. If you've got your smartphone, it's going to be a little bit easier to find Acts in the Bible app. But we're looking for Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. This takes place, just to give you a little context, several years into the life of the church. The church has been around a while. There's 
maybe tens of thousands of Christians, maybe more than that. Just, just, lots of people are starting, deciding to follow Jesus. This is one of those stories. So I'm going to start reading in verse 26 out of the New Living Translation. It says, for, As for Philip, he was a Christian evangelist, As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south, down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the under Kandaki, the queen of Ethiopia. Now, the eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. So I'm going to stop there. Philip has no idea why he's going out into the middle of the desert to go stand alongside a highway, but he soon figures it out. There's this guy riding along, reading his Bible. What he was reading is in your Bible as well. You can go find it. Isaiah is in the Old Testament. He had a scroll. He's in his chariot, his carriage. He's reading it. And uh, so Philip goes, okay, this is why I'm here. Verse 29, the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over, walk along beside the carriage. So Philip ran over, and he heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. And Philip asked him, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, well, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip, come up in the carriage and sit with him. So he did. And so just picture this. Not as weird as it sounds. It's not like it's an interstate. It's a road, but people would have been walking. And Philip runs alongside the carriage. The guy's reading. And he says, hey, you understand what you're reading? And the guy goes, I need to No. And, well, this is your lucky day because I am a Bible teacher. Well, come on up in here and why don't you explain this to me? And so he does. Verse 32. The passage of Scripture the, the Ethiopian had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. But who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Well, then the eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or was he talking about somebody else? And what this Ethiopian man was reading out of Isaiah was an 800-year-old prophecy. 800 years for him. It's 2,800 years for us. And Isaiah somehow saw what happened to Jesus on the cross. And he described it so vividly. And this Ethiopian man is reading that going, okay, was Isaiah the prophet talking about himself? Is this something he experienced in his life? Is he talking about something that happened to another person? And this is amazing because Philip gets to then share with him about Jesus. And it says that in verse 35. So beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. God became one of us. He sacrificed his life for us. He did not stay dead. He rose from the dead, and he offers that same resurrection to anyone who trusts Jesus. I'm sure that's what Philip taught him. And there was a gospel lesson in that chariot. And look at verse 36. Look what happened. This is so cool. As they rode along, they came to some water. The eunuch said, hey, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the chariot to stop. They went down in the water, and Philip baptized him. When he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. Eunuch never saw him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. I want you to notice something here. It's, it's there, and it's obvious, but it's not. It says Philip told him the good news about Jesus, but who suggested baptism? The eunuch did, which tells me that as people shared the good news about Jesus, they would talk about baptism as the natural response of someone who has then committed their life. You've committed your life to Jesus. You say you're all in. Do what Jesus said. Be baptized. And so he said, look, here's some water. Let's go down there and let's do this. And apparently, also, we see the same pattern that we see consistently. Belief expressed 
in an, an action, in baptism. And as we pointed out last week, first you believe in Jesus, then you obey Jesus. And um, I just want to be very clear here. I'm not in any way suggesting that it's like that baptism that actually saves you. We all know that, right, that, that God saves us. It's God saves us through, by grace through faith, and it's not of ourselves. It's a gift from God so nobody can boast. It's our obedience. It's our way of reenacting what Jesus did when he died, was buried, and rose again. There's nothing magical about this water. You don't have to make a trip to Israel and go get into the Jordan River to be baptized. There's simply nothing about That's like magic. That's not. It would be like saying to somebody, well, that ring that you put on magically makes you to a couple, which is like, no, no, we don't teach that. Like, if baptism is what saved you, literally, I'd get Chad and I'd get, you know, big guys from the church, and we would just go tackle people and dunk them underwater and say, you'll thank me later. You know, when you die, you're going to be glad that we did this to you. It doesn't work. If there's nothing in your heart that hasn't already expressed faith in Jesus, then you're not obeying him through baptism, and so that's a very important thing here. I want to point out something else here. And I pointed out this last week, so I won't dwell on it too much, but in the original language that the New Testament of the Bible was written in, which was Greek, the word literally there when he said he was baptized is baptized, baptizo. It's a Greek word that we've just brought into the English language, and it literally means to take something and to immerse someone or something, to plunge it underwater. You don't have to know Greek to get that, though, because what did they do? It says they went down into the water, and then they came back up out of the water. So they didn't just use this water bottle in the chariot to sprinkle him. They, like, they baptized him, which is, is what they did. That's the Ethiopian story. It's my story. Uh, I told some of you last week, my faith journey was kind of weird because my parents were kind of in and out of church when I was really young. I really appreciate my parents doing what they could when they could to get me to, to church, but it was sporadic. And uh, my first baptism, I, I was old enough to remember it happening, but way too young to know any of what it meant. So I remember my parents telling me, you're going to go up to the front, and then the priest or the minister was going to sprinkle some water on my forehead, which he did. And the only thing I do remember is my parents saying, don't laugh, which was, don't ever tell your kids not to do something, because they will, and I did. And it was, that was the only thing I remember in my baptism was that I thought it was the funniest thing in the world that he splashed water on my face. There was no commitment to Jesus. I knew God existed, but at that point, there wasn't anything going on within me. And believe me, I am not throwing shade on any church that, that sprinkles or anything else. We're all on Team Jesus. Just, you know, as a church here, we try to do things, Bible things in Bible ways. And, and my story then later, we, we started more consistently going to a church at, when I was older, and I actually kind of understood what was going on. And I am still thankful to this day for Nancy Douglas. She taught my Sunday school class. Um, she probably gets extra reward in heaven for having to be my teacher. I just think of the kid I was. But she, um, she was a great teacher because she didn't just like boring lecture. She really got us engaged, and she made us think, and she asked good questions, and she took us on field trips. One of the things she did one Sunday was we'd been talking about how becoming a Christian was not something your parents necessarily chose for you, that you had to choose it yourself with your mind and your heart, and that you had to reach out to God and, and ask him to save you. And so I'm, these things are starting to click in my mind. Okay, I'm not just a Christian because I'm showing up every week here. I'm not just a Christian because the church I go to has Christian in the name. I'm not a Christian because my parents bring me here. I have to do something. And then she took us one Sunday to the baptistry, and she just let us look at it, which was, it was such a mystery. And it was like, wow, it's here. And she said, when you accept Jesus, this is what he wants you to do. You know that th expression, a light bulb goes off? It really did. It's one of those moments I will never forget. Something went click in my head, and it all came together. I'm a Christian. I'm accepting Jesus. I'm like right there, I'm accepting Jesus. I guess this is what I'm supposed to do. 
So I don't know if it was a week, two weeks. I talked to my preacher. He talked to me more to make sure I really didn't know what I was doing. And on December 12th, 1976, I went in the baptistry, and my preacher baptized me. And I was obeying Jesus because I wanted to in the way that Jesus told me to do it. Have you done that? Have you obeyed Jesus in the way that he asked you to obey him? I was thinking about a guy that Gary Johnson told me about. Gary's a pastor of a church in Indianapolis. And he was saying there was a man in his 90s who came forward. And he had been a crusty guy his whole life. And he was a crusty old man. But something convicted him. And he goes, I need Jesus. And he accepted Christ. And he steps into the baptistry. And Gary said, baptize this 90-some-year-old man. As he came out of the water, he's wet, but he's also crying. And he literally just said out loud, oh, Lord, why did I wait so long? I'm just asking you, if this is something God's been placing on your heart, what are you waiting for? Don't live in the space between conviction and action and just tread water, literally or figuratively. Let's just, let's do this. If you know this is something you need to know, it's your next step. And you know, as I've been thinking about this weekend, as I was thinking about last weekend, I've been praying a lot for all of us because even if you've taken this step, there are so many steps in a life of faith following Jesus, and maybe you're just stuck on one step. Maybe you're stuck on a rung of a ladder, and you just know. Maybe it's not baptism. Maybe it's something else, and God is calling you to do it. My strong advice to you is just go ahead and do it because there's nothing to be gained for putting it off. When God tells you to do something, it's always in your best interest. God's will is good, and it's pleasing, and it's perfect, and you're going to acknowledge that at some point. Don't be 90-some years old going, why did I wait so long? Don't be that guy. And so I just love it last weekend. You saw the video in the announcement loop. Those four people who accepted Christ, people who were just baptized. I love John's story because John said, um, he was the last guy who was baptized. He said, I accepted Christ at church camp when I was a little kid. And I, I, on my own, but, and then the guy who was going to baptize me couldn't be there the night I was ready to be baptized. So he said, all right, you need to go home and get baptized in your church. And he's like, I will do it. And then he just kind of got away from him. He didn't do it. And he went decades. He told me decades knowing that he was supposed to do this and should do this and obey Jesus. He just never had. So we're talking about this last weekend. He's like, I got to do it. Today's the day. This God had circled this date on the calendar. He comes over there. And I don't know if you saw this. He, uh, he was just getting ready to get in the water. I'm like, okay, this is great. You want to take your watch off? You want to take your phone out of your pocket? You want to take your... It was just, I love that enthusiasm to say, I've got the conviction. What's the action? What's the next thing Jesus wants me to do? Today, we're offering again the opportunity for you to respond before you leave this building. And we've tried to make everything as easy as possible for you because there's no greater symbol. There is no greater way to show your obedience to Jesus than his direct command, the thing that he's literally told us to do, just to be immersed in water. Baptism is like the first of many steps in a journey of faith. It's the way that you can choose to obey Jesus. And here's your chance. The Ethiopian and say, you know what? I believe in what you're talking about, Philip. This is amazing. Let me get home to Ethiopia, get a change of clothes, and then, you know, when it's convenient, I'll figure this baptism. It's like, okay, there's water. I know we're on the side of the interstate, but let's just go ahead and do this now this is important. And he just did it right then. He didn't say, I need to learn more. He didn't say, I need to get my act cleaned up. If you have received Jesus, or if you're ready to receive Jesus, I'm asking you, what is it that's keeping you from responding today? If you've already learned all about it, and hey, we've had a lesson today. You've learned enough to do this. Let's just do it. Acknowledge Jesus. Jesus himself said, this is really important. If you acknowledge me before other people, I'll acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. It's that important to him. We're ready. The baptistry is warm. It's clean. It's, you won't be alone. You're surrounded by friends. We've got everything you need. And you think, like, 
I go over there, are people going to wonder what I did? Are they going to wonder, like, what, what, did they mess up? Is, are they some kind of sinner? And again, I would just ask you, have you looked around at the people you're surrounded by? They all look nice, but don't let them fool you. It's like John Orberg, the author and pastor, says, everyone's normal until you get to know them. (laughs) Nobody's really got a great life. We're just, none of us really deserve to be here. Let's just be honest about that. We all should be pinching ourselves that God led us in his family, right? You might say this, and I've talked to a few people, this is legit. Like, I am terrified of water. The thought of somebody, I can't even take a shower hardly. It's just so hard. And maybe that's a phobia for you. And I've talked to people who have said, I want to be baptized, but this is my fear. And I will tell you, in every single situation where somebody had that, it was a chance for them to illustrate that their love for God and their desire to be obedient was greater than their fear of water. And they were all able to do it. So I'll tell you this, we have a 100% resurrection rate on our baptisms. You're not going to be the first one we can't bring up. So... And God will drive away your fear if you'll just be brave. Do you guys you see that movie, So We Bought a Zoo? Yeah, it's a good movie. If you haven't seen it, go to the library and check it out. It's uh, Matt Damon, Scarlett Johansson. It's based on a true story. And back in 2006, a British man named Benjamin Mee bought a zoo. It was like one of those farm kind of things. And they moved into this 30-acre zoo with their whole family. Let me just read you what they bought. Their new neighbors include five Siberian tigers, three African lions, nine wolves, three big brown European bears, four Asian short-claw otters, two flamingos, a Brazilian taper named Ronnie, I like that guy, some large boa constrictors, and I'm out here, a tarantula. Anybody else out? So the the zoo is dangerously run down. They face challenge after challenge, like, how are we going to pay for the food for these animals? How are we going to keep them safe? How do we fix this place up? It was infested with rats when they bought it. At one point, the jaguar escaped and endangered the whole neighborhood, and they had to get it back without having to kill it or watch it kill somebody else. But despite the difficulties, I'm not spoiling them. You you know where it's going to go. It's like a Disney movie. They got it. They overcame the challenges, and it worked out okay. There's a scene in the movie, though, that I just love. Matt Damon's character, he's talking to one of his kids, and he's talking about how sometimes you just got to take a risk. And here's the quote. I think this is so powerful, and I want you to hang on to this. He thought, whenever he thought, there's times like, what have I done? He just said, sometimes all you need is just 20 seconds of insane courage, just 20 seconds of embarrassing bravery. And I promise you, something good will happen. If you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, I need to do something, but I just can't stand the thought of being in front of people. I can't stand the thought of, you know, I just, maybe not today. I just promise you, 20 seconds of insane courage, 20 seconds of embarrassing bravery. You get over there and something good will happen. So here's what we're going to do. I'm like, if you've prayed about this, if you are ready to do this, I'm just going to ask you, what are you waiting for? In a couple of minutes, I'm going to pray, and that's your chance. When I'm praying, you can move over there, and there will be people over there who are ready to talk with you, answer questions. We've got T-shirts, towels, everything you need. We've got trash bags to put on your car seat if, you know, so you can get it. It's like 150 degrees outside anyway. You'll be dry before you get to your car, so it's all good. We've got private changing areas. There's nothing that you... We've got it. We can take care of anything. What we can't do is make you do it. So if this is something you need to do, and I know, like I said last week too, you might be visiting Connection. You're like, I don't even know if I want to be a part of this church, to which we'd say, we don't know if we want you either. That's okay. I'm not asking you to join our church. This isn't like a connection ritual. We're just asking you to be obedient to Jesus. This is something that he, your Lord and Savior, asks you to do. To me, it just makes sense. If Jesus tells me to do something, I should do it. So...
That's what we're asking you to do. We're trying to take away every excuse. Somebody once said this. I love this. There were a thousand steps separating us from God. Jesus took 999 of them, but he asks for us to take the last one. He's waiting for us to take the last step. I'm just asking, is there anyone here who needs to courageously say yes to Jesus, to take the next step toward him, to just obey him in this next thing that he's asked you to do? And we will celebrate with you. I want to say this too. If you have already accepted Christ, if you have already been immersed and you've just kind of been treading water in that place between being a part of the church but not really committed as a member, you need to walk over there too and just say, look, I've already been immersed, but this is a good place and my family needs to put our roots down deep here. So if you're ready to place membership, you walk over there and we'll just introduce you and welcome you to the church as well. Or if you just want somebody to pray with you about something, go over there. So would you stand up with me? And I'm going to pray. And then if you need to do something as I'm praying, you just start walking over there, all right? Father, I want to thank you that you came so far, that you humbled yourself to become one of us, that Jesus, you died for us. Thank you that you've given us a very visible way to express our commitment to you. And I pray for today, anyone who's thinking about this, that you would move them from thinking to action, that this would just be a place where every single week people are learning to obey you and to get their lives put in order because we're trusting you. Father, I just pray right now that we would be overwhelmed with the love that you have for us, that there's something so much more powerful than our failures of our past, the things we've done wrong, that our future, there's just so much hope there when we think about it. Would you just fill our minds and our hearts with that? And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Gail, I would just like to give you the opportunity to share with everyone here, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? He's your Lord and Savior. Yes, he is. You get the privilege of baptizing. Okay. Baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.